Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamond. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. How are you, Rob? Today, Russell, I am feeling hypersensitive. And that is a word that sometimes comes with negative connotations, but I don't mean it in a negative way, because it's actually a word that I've been labelled with for most of my life. Even since I started playing piano at the age of four, and my piano teacher used to say, Rob, Robert because I used to be called Robert. Oh, well, I am called Robert now, I guess. But um, no, because I, 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 no, some people call me Rob. You know what oh, I mean? Oh, wow, yeah. Like, anyway, so what different. a massive story. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, when, <laughs> when I was having yeah. piano lessons, she used to be like, Rob has a really sensitive touch. And everything was about me being sensitive and how much that I felt things because I was always crying, always quite emotional. That's true. And nothing really changed much, did it, Russ? <laughs> no, it's got worse. <laughs> and today's guest, I feel such an affinity with their work because, A, there's just the most incredible sensitivity when it comes to colour and to gesture and kind of abstraction and just these colour fields in a way that are just totally sensitive and they make me feel kind of seen or something. And then the other thing is, I love the elements of poetry and language and kind of the excavation of deep thoughts and kind of working out your mental state through being creative. And I have so much respect for our guest. So we are very excited to welcome, because I know Russell is a massive, massive fan, because actually, I've said this before, Russell sends me emails and texts and WhatsApps daily and Instagram DMs about artists, but there's been one artist in particular for the last few months, and it's been our guest today. So we would like to welcome to Talk Art... Daisy Paris! Hi, Daisy. <laughs> Hi. So weird to hear my name spoken in unison. <laughs> I know it's like it's like a really cheesy game show. <laughs> like, what a um, nice intro. Bob Forsyth's gonna come along with like a rotating. Who? Who's um... Bob's Bob Forsyth? Oh no, Bob Bruce. What's his name? Bruce. Bruce. Who's <laughs> Bob Forsyth? I'm thinking of Bob Holness. Yeah, all of it. You're combining them all, you're splicing them all up. Um hi Daisy. Where are you in the hi, world, yeah. Daisy? I'm in Croydon at the minute in my studio. You're sat That's there in a nice backdrop for you. I know the listeners can't see that, but we are graced with a new painting. It seems it looks like a yeah. really large painting. It is. It's uh, four point two meters long. Oh my gosh! Wow. Yeah, not my biggest, but it's <laughs> what, on its what is way. your biggest? I think it's the one in my show at the moment. It's 
2.4 meters by four meters. So this is this is not the biggest paint you've made. So in your current show, which is at Sim Smith Gallery, I see you and everyone I love. You have a work yeah. that's that's your biggest to date. Yeah, so that's two point four meters by four meters. But <laughs> when we uh, when we hung it, I was like, oh, it looks really small. Um, so I have this like major major painting dysphoria <laughs> about the size of paintings. <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> and uh, they had to reassure me that it, it it's big it's actually big but why, but why I, is it I, small is it because the, the space is so big i don't no. know i think it's just me i think i just want to go bigger and bigger and bigger and be consumed by the work that i don't know any anything that doesn't consume me like 10 times my body height or whatever just feels small now um the thing is your your really smallest works though have so much sort of um gesture and intensity to them that I feel like you could be sort of taken over by even a small work by you so like I've never seen a giant work by you so I'm gonna come up and see the show in London but it must be really like exciting as a viewer to kind of like lose yourself because because the scale of them must be so huge and the the kind of intensity of detail in your work because you have so many different colors you know they're, they're very very complex aren't they as as kind of image constructions in a sense yeah so like small i mean i've always uh drawn in sketchbooks and stuff like that had journals so that has been my way into small work but but i I let that go for so many years. I was just consumed with big work. And then the small work has come back in like in the last couple of years. And it was a major challenge to, I don't know, working on two extreme scales, but maintaining um, the sensitivity, the intimacy and the power and the energy. Uh, I'm like really trying to bring that into the small work. So it's good for me that you've said that, that, that the small work is holding up mm. in relation to the big work. Um, but yeah, I love being consumed when I paint, but equally the small work is still of the body, you know, as a really intimate process to it. It's, and they're often, pieces where I reveal everything because I'm thinking of them as as journal pages so I'm like that's my mentality I'm like oh I can just turn the page if it's too much you know so then interesting things happen when I'm not so precious with the smaller pieces whereas the big yeah. ones like there's a lot at stake it's like it's a like economically it's a lot of materials and it's right the the kind of the the conflict of of waste comes into that a lot you know and I mean that's a bigger conversation about uh what it means to fail with paintings and where that leads you but yeah so there's all these that's interesting the economy of deep, waste as in you know as in economy of waste as in actual physical materials and we're talking about like saving the planet economy of waste or economy of waste of energy going into something that fails everything about it it, it comes from like if you can't afford materials then you can't afford to waste them mm. 
and th that's where I come from, like having limited materials. Um, but interestingly, on like in terms of <laughs> the planet, the the studio that I was at before this one was an eco friendly studio. So yeah, there'd be no waste, there'd be no chemicals, white spirit, anything like that. So I learned, yeah, I learned a lot about economy whilst I was working there. And and that's where kind of like the dry paint comes from in my work. Like I I I only recently started using medium, but that that stems from or like painting in my bedroom and having minimal materials but dragging them uh as far as they can go. It's mm. yeah, so it's been like years and years of that. And that's the blurring effect that we see in your paintings, isn't it? That kind of yeah, that, that movement. Yeah, and it creates an energy when you're trying to drag that across raw canvas. It, there's a major friction there in in the process of painting it. It's so physical, and and that's what brings an energy to it. And to go back to the budgetary thing, then, so as you've got more successful and as your works are being placed in in collections all over the place and museums are acquiring now is it making you more confident then to go bigger because these are bigger works and you're now saying you really want to go as big a big big like um like julie maritu do you know what i mean you remember you see them pictures of her on like a crane where she's like painting a whole <laughs> yeah. wall yeah it's, it's like that that i can imagine that's what you want so i guess that is a, a budgetary situation for any artist but if you were in a situation where money was no object would this be the sort of scale you'd be trying to push yourself towards? I think so. I think that's the dream. But it it would also be the goal to not lose the human touch. Because um, I think the bigger you the bigger you go, I don't know. I don't want to lose the human or the physicality of the process of painting. Mm. And and a lot of painting I've learned is about stepping back. And I forget to do that a lot with the big work. I forget to step back because I'm so in it. So, I mean, yeah, that would that would be the dream. <laughs> but without losing intimacy, that, that would be the key. The thing is, I, I feel like the intimacy in your work... Um as well as coming through the actual mark making. And if you think of some of the smaller works, one of my favourites is um, called Sadness Comes and Goes Throughout the Day. And it's this kind of 50 by 40 centimetre painting, I think, and it's red and yellow. And it has um, a collaged piece of text, which um, this time is actually painted in, in paint. Um, and, it, and it has the, the title of the painting, like actually written out as a poem on, on, on the painting. Um, but like for me, the words and the titles... Um, often give you a kind of key to unlock the kind of intensity but behind the actual work, if that makes sense. So I, I even feel like if you did like some giant, giant, I don't know, you know, huge, huge painting, like 10 times bigger, I almost feel like the title or maybe some of the text you put in it would actually still maintain that level of intimacy and intensity mm. on a kind of quieter scale, if you know what I mean. Yeah, definitely. And and some of the the bigger pieces in my show at the moment they don't have text in them but the titles are what's bringing that right that intimacy or that poetry into them so yeah I think that's a really interesting point that they can still be rooted 
in the human and in the soul through the use of, I don't know, titles are really important. To, they seem to be for you, definitely. Yeah, to lead the painting but not give too much away or sometimes I want to give everything away. They just, they're a gesture in themselves. Um Yeah, I think about them a lot. You describe them as journal entries or, or diary entries, and there is quite a, a, it's such a confessional dialogue that you're having with an audience of what you're putting in the work. And as, as an audience myself, I want to pry into your personal life, but yet <laughs> it's also, <laughs> I'm also feeling that I'm not allowed and and you're you're like you're saying you want to give everything away, but however you don't want to explain. If this is what I'm I'm kind of pop psychoanalyzing it is that you don't want to explain where these come from and what these sayings and what these poems are referring to in your personal life, but you're giving us something to hopefully project onto and connect with. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. It it comes from like the secrecy of the journal and of the diary, but being so desperate to communicate and connect with other humans. Right. Um, and I, I used to keep everything secret. Like it's only in the last couple of years that I'm getting more confident with introducing the text. And now that I am, now that I've like opened Pandora's box, I'm like, I'm riding that wave. And I'm like, I feel like they're so revealing that it, it makes me cringe and want to hide sometimes and but I, I I'm not gonna stop that now so it's it's difficult being so honest and revealing in the work but at the same time that's what I respond most to with other artists work yeah. and and that that's my goal as a painter to connect with other humans through through a visual language where like you don't always have the words to explain it but there's an energy or there's a sense of something that you can connect to um and I think a lot of art is really generous in that way and yeah yeah, I think artists are really, really generous, and 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 I want to be a generous artist. What does that mean? What in generous in what way by giving the world your art that takes a bit away from you, or no? I think like I I was in New York a couple of years ago, and I saw some Rothkos there. And I don't know, a lot of people were just looking at them for a second and walking past. And I just had this like moment of reflection and they they overcame me and I was like, this is so generous for him to give to give so much soul and agony in these paintings for for people to look at, but but also for people to just walk past if they want. It's, that's a lot to come to terms with as an artist that 
some people will get it and some people won't. I think that's where the generosity lies, is that you give your soul anyway. With Regar- the, regardless. Yeah, regardless of if people will connect with it, but you hope that someone will. So, yeah, I've been thinking about the generosity of artists a lot because I feel a lot when, I, when I'm, like, moved by a painting, it's... It's almost paralyzing. And that's, yeah, that's generous. That's something that they're giving me through their work. I guess with the, with the text in your work is that you, you are giving people the opportunity to slow down and spend time with mm-hmm. it and notice the text. And they do have the ability to walk past and not see that and just take in the colors and take in the emotion and the energy of, of the work. So yeah, I guess that is your. I've never really thought about it. We've never really. That's never really come up of any of the artists we talk to. This kind of generosity. I think I think we've sort of labelled people as generous. So we'll sometimes say like, "Oh, we love your generosity of spirit" or something, or right. your generous act of making your work. But we've never actually like discussed it. It's true. That was really beautiful, actually. Mm. Also, you know what I love about art is that, <clears throat> you know, you're talking about those people who might have walked past the Rothko they could come back, you know, two years later and not walk past that moment. And I think that's the amazing thing about art is that um, it has the potential, if it's cared for and looked after, that it will last and it will almost like connect or help or console, you know, a viewer at a point when they need it. And that's what I, I always find. If I go to like the Tate, for example, in London, I'll always discover something new because it depends on the mood you're in that day. And I just love like... The and it's always been of, there as well. It's something you have... Yeah. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 That's magic. Yeah, because like, you get taught about all these artists at school, Rothko, Monet, Picasso, whatever. And and I, I dismissed a lot or forgot about a lot of them. And it's only in these last two, three years that I am noticing them when I go to galleries, that I am spending the time to reflect on them and meditate with them. So, yeah, it's circular. Cyclical. (laughs) Cyclical. I I completely agree. Yeah, and and the great thing is that it's always going to be that fluid. There's always going to be room to just walk past it or to commit commit to it when, when you're ready. Derek, Derek Jarman says, if you wait long enough, the world moves in circles. And it's right. it's definitely that thing. It's like I went to National Gallery recently and all through kind of art, my art love, I've always been looking at the contemporary and then you go back a bit further to kind of modern, then you go back a bit further to century. But then when you start looking at the old masters again, you see all the artists now. And, yeah. when you, and you go, oh my God. And the more you know, then the more you can learn about the past and the more you realise what's gone before. And it, it is this cyclical thing. Yeah, it's kind of magic, isn't it? That, yeah, and that's really generous in itself, I think. Totally. You know, I, I just got thinking about, you know, you were talking about diary entries and things like that. It reminded me of like when I was a kid and one of my friend's brothers opened his sister's diary and like broke the lock on the front and then read everything she'd been writing. And that was such a kind of invasion. I remember how devastating it was for her. And he just thought it was funny and it was like some kind of joke. But actually, it was really intrusive and really wrong. And what I think is really interesting about art is that especially, you know, artists in in the kind of 
world that you're inhabiting and, and creating is that sometimes people see it literally as a diary entry but actually it's not really is it because it's like you, you, you're choosing I, I know you're putting your heart and soul in it I know it's authentic I, I totally believe it but it's like it is still a constructed artwork in a sense and it, you are making decisions and choices and you are stepping back from that painting and looking at it you are you know naming it and really thinking about how that might impact people when they read it or what it means to you and um, can you speak a bit about that process of actually like, you know, the artistry, the, sorry, the artistry <laughs> of it? <laughs> yeah, it is actually edited and curated and it's gone through the process of being handwritten and then being painted as handwriting. Uh, like I'm looking around my studio now and there's all these scraps on the floor with painted words or things that I've picked out from scraps of paper. So they've they've already gone through two layers. And then they kind of get edited again. They get physically edited, um, physically cut up, moved about based on their physical properties. In a way, they end up being, then it turns into composition, like physical composition and composition within painting. It's and, a collage and it, element, it becomes like. Yeah, it, it becomes less about the rhythm of a poem and more about the rhythm of a painting. But it's still a poem. It just, it turns into a different... Oh, there's all these layers of rhythm and playing with structure and and in some ways it doesn't matter the order that everything goes in as long as it's all there in some way um but it, it it's an organized chaos and and yeah that that sticks with me but it also sounds like it's transformation like it sounds like it's able to move from shift from one form to another you know from like a poem to to the words to the words being a visual symbol of something or you know what I mean like yeah. is that also is transformation something that's important in the sense of you you know taking your soul and somehow you know manifesting it in the world yeah it's almost like it has to go through all these different stages for me to build up the confidence to actually put it in a painting um what are those stages? I don't know. Like, like realistic almost. Yeah, just like I'm in an, like co the conflict inside me. Like, is this too much? Is this not enough? Is this honest? Is this? I don't know. It just like the ones I'm. No one's seen the the ones in my studio. There's like there's ones I'm working on now that are all all poems. The whole canvas is poems and they're like the most brutally honest work I've ever done. I've not shown anyone. Um, they're just for me at the moment and, and maybe they will get shown one day in series, but they're so direct and honest that the only way I can make them at the moment is by knowing that I'm not showing anyone. Uh, and maybe it'll take me 10 years to disconnect from them or something until I feel okay with showing them. So there's a lot. 
there's a lot of conflict and sometimes I'm like repeating phrases over and over again and then I'm getting more comfortable using them or playing around with them so yeah a lot of it is about trusting myself that it's okay to actually express these things because uh, text is so direct and it, it's also like I think a big ask to um to want people to read a painting like I find it hard to read paintings when there's a lot of text it's it's a lot to ask of people so at the moment I'm trying to find the balance of I don't know not it not being overwhelming or it not getting confused with being like an essay or academic I want it to I want people to be able to to access it. Yeah, this idea of reading a painting I'm quite interested in. Um I remember like at school the first time I'd seen like a painting with text in it. One of the, I think they were doing their A levels for their final piece they'd painted their essay on a canvas. And I remember the school hung it and, and it blew my mind as like this conceptual masterpiece that you could, you could paint text or paint observations, thoughts, essays, academic writing, and, and it could become a structure in itself. Like it still had all those painterly elements and it, someone had painstakingly written like a 3000 word essay and I never read it but I just looked I never took the time to to read it because I was like there's just so many words like I can't like I'm trying to figure this out as a painting let alone like have the energy to read it um but I remember that blowing my mind and that's always stuck with me and I've been thinking about that recently um as like one of my first encounters with text in a painting and yeah what it means to to ask people to read paintings does your own work sometimes scare you yeah <laughs> yeah like the series in here at the minute is just like so <laughs> so depressing <laughs> And it's it's difficult because I've been like, I've been going through it in my personal life and maybe I've come to terms with it in my personal life, but then it's staring back at me in a painting and I'm forced to be consumed and reflect on it even further. But equally, the the process of painting helps me reflect, grieve, mourn, whatever come to terms with it all so they're they're very tied in and I'm I'm thankful to myself for having these moments of brutal honesty in the painting and that painting is my safe space to do that and it's I know it's always going to be there for me to do that it's mine and I've carved it out and I've made it safe but it's it's a lot (laughs) it's a lot 
Has has art always had that function for you? Like growing up, some kind of um, cathartic, like therapy, a, a place to, you know, put the way you feel. Definitely, I remember like just coming home from school every day, and I just I paint in my room for hours and hours. I draw and I paint. I'd study painting. I'd it became an obsession and I think in some ways it it made me go inside my my head and get stuck inside my own head Mm. but it taught me so much about expression um and it's only recently that I'm learning to verbalize and communicate that you know now it's now it's a tool it's providing me with the skills to communicate and talk about art and painting and express all these things in my head. But it, it's like the, the only constant in my life. It's, it's the constant. It's always been there painting in my bedroom. Like, yeah. And I think it always will be, but especially now where I'm going through like, uh, a lot of loss in my personal life painting is there for me like really there for me and it gives it depends on how much you're willing to give it as well how generous yeah willing to be yeah yeah and that comes with how much work and time you're willing to put in how much you're laying it you're willing to let it consume you or educate you and I am so willing for painting and art to do all those things for me. It, yeah, it, make, it just makes me want to paint more. I see a lot of um, the constant mining of trauma through art that Tracy Emin does in in your practice. And I feel like the elements that you're connecting with now that are very raw for you in the contemporary in the moment now are going to be elements that you continue to mine and revert back to that emotion regress but use that as a material because all of these emotions whether they be you know loss grief or hope tenderness uh, uncertainty mourning loneliness as painful as they are for you they also act as devices to inspire work yeah and it's hard to be in that space all the time like I'm not I'm not seeking trauma and I'm not seeking these things but lately they they are falling in trauma is falling into my life so I'm using painting which is my language to process that but I also think it's important to not just these aren't just dark they're not just dark work like they're full of hope and I think that's the key thing to remember like I find color really hopeful um and when you put certain colors next to each other that they I don't know they invigorate invigorate you again they make you come alive again um so I think it's important to remember that 
in my work, there's a lot of hope. And there's a lot of survival in a way, you know. There was a title, um, I think from last year or the year before, but it said something like, uh, you suck all the pleasure out of everything or, or it sucks all the pleasure out of everything. And um, I remember thinking like how in a way what you're doing with the actual paint, the way you kind of like smash it across the, the canvas or something, it's almost like it is quite a pleasurable activity in a sense like and I think it almost brings it has the potential to bring pleasure to the viewer as well so it's like it's actually like inverting that that phrase because you know like you can say like you know someone's hurt you and they they might drain you of all your joy but in a sense there's some kind of act of resistance in the actual making of the painting it's like you can't take this away from me it's a rebellion like against you know and even if it's yourself like your own like um body or something it, it could be that too like it's not necessarily another person it could it could even be your own kind of system of you know waking up and feeling down or, or depressed or what have you but like I, I really like that element of hope in the actual act of making yeah I like that you said rebellion I think survival is such a rebellion like to survive is to be defiant and to make things on top of that or turn it into something that's just defiant on another level and I guess that's that's how I'm made as a human is is to turn things into pain yeah to take it back to basics like pain is so delicious like it's so I don't know I just never get tired of it of moving it on the canvas it's like it's sickly it's sweet it's tender it's aggressive it's brutal it's all of these things and and when you've studied your craft and the properties of paint for so long you kind of know how to get it to do what you want um whilst maintain whilst still being surprised by it and i think that's where the the pleasure comes in is that I'm I'm constantly surprised by what paint can do yeah totally but also you know you were talking earlier about having an obsession like when you came home from school and you were like driven by this kind of passion and obsession what I love about it is that the longer you do something like that how kind of um fertile that that ground can be and like there's a kind of abundance a sense of positive abundance it's like that that's actually like you say like a rebellion it's like you can try and crush me but actually look I am growing you know what I mean like and I can still grow and I will still grow and I think that's such an interesting message I think Tracy we're talking about Tracy earlier who's obviously a friend of Russ and me but like she always used the word fecundity which I think is linked to those ideas so I, I always liked that word as well I've never heard that word before I think it means something like new growth mm. like it, it means that yeah fecundity it's kind of about it's almost like if you think of fertility gods or something yeah i think that used to be a word that got associated with them maybe yeah i mean don't quote me <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna get people writing in now complaining um thesaurus. yeah no but they, they, i mean yeah you're saying about the color and you you do have an interest in in color theory and the placing of colors together like the, the like almost a scientific um understanding of how colors affect the soul or the audience mm. and i guess that is definitely what rothko was 
channeling and something that he was working with this this vibration that comes from color resonating against each other and that's something that you're constantly exploring and i think people coming to your work will see a lot of hopeful pinks and and greens and behind you there we've got the blue and the orange but the red is a very visceral color that runs through most of your work i think yeah red is pretty key but in in combination with pink as well there's something sickly and scary that happens but also something that is womb-like and nurturing there's there's a warmth to it but it the combination of those two colors really scare me as well for some reason i think yeah it's all about what what colors you pair together and i like to use colors that are slightly off in some ways or slightly jarring or not quite right but you can't figure out why and that's where sometimes there's a harmony in that Mm. but then often I'll pair it or put it put colors that have harmony next to things that don't and and that's where a a darkness comes in or a an anxiety like a an anxious underlying energy but I like the way you said scientific color theory, but in relation to the soul, that is pretty spot on. Because I'm not that scientific. Like I, I, I only, I've only researched through the soul. That that's that's the only research I've done for like the last fifteen years, or through observation, not literally through maths or science or whatever like I I was taught the basics at school complementary colors but I'm interested in the in-betweens of those recommended complementary colors Mm -hmm. you know I'm interested in what lies in between in between the familiar or, or the safe in some ways so that yeah that starts with color in my work does the color come before text, I mean, do you have text and you that inspires a painting or is it vice versa? At the moment, it's kind of all muddled up. It's all, everything's spilling out side by side. Um, this painting behind me, it was, it was after the show had opened and I was sat here like, I don't know how to paint. I've forgotten how to paint. I don't know what I'm going to paint. This is like the most disastrous thing. I've got loads of work to do and I can't remember how to paint. So how I got back into this one was through colour. It was like just a simple question of what colour haven't I seen in a while or haven't I seen before? that I'd want to see for just a second. And and I mixed it. I mixed the colour. It was this Caribbean blue that I would never use before. And I added some white. And I just put it on there because I was like, I've got nothing to lose. I don't know how to paint anymore. I may as well just look at this colour. Um, 
And then that led to all these other colors because I like, I hate that color. I cannot have that color in there. So then it, then like the painter in me came alive again and I knew how to solve solve the color problem it's it's like a color puzzle I, I knew how to solve it and how to get rid of it and then I yeah now I'm like so excited to paint again so sometimes it's really taking it back to the simple the simple thing of like what color do I want to see that's going to make me happy or make me excited or or cause me stress and help me get rid of it you know it, it's such a puzzle sometimes but that's where the joy comes in. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. As well. What has the process been like for you? Um, you know, making all the work in the studio, um, growing up as an artist in a sense, and then getting to the point where you have to like show your work in exhibitions. Um, what's it been like for you kind of like entering the art world in a sense and the gallery system because obviously you're you're quite new to it you're working with sim smith um now and your show runs till the mid of middle of february like what's it been like that whole um thing for you well weirdly it's it's not that new to me like i've been exhibiting like in kent since i was like 16 uh, i've like oh, really yeah just small little places you know like um with the help of friends so I've, I've been doing it a long time weirdly just in a DIY way you know yeah um but yeah I've been represented by sim now for a couple of years and that's really new to me you know it it because I've done things myself um the whole time and I, I've I said yes to a lot of things, you know, and from that more opportunities come and and I don't know, get getting to work with Sim is like I think we have quite a a rare relationship in in terms of like a gallery and an artist. She's like she nurtures me, she takes care of me, she's she's brought me stability and brought me all these things that I couldn't get when I was just working on my own for myself you know because when you're doing it all yourself you're you're the boss you're doing like the PR the business the accounts all of this stuff that people don't tell you about 
there's so much business behind uh, surviving as an artist. And it's fine. I would do it all. I would do it all. But it gets to a point where that it's like eating into your painting time. And obviously painting is the most precious thing to me. So Sim came along at like the perfect time where I was ready to, to let someone in. And she worked really hard at, at building a safe um, a safe space for me and, and putting in the time to get to know how I work in the studio, what's going on in my life. And because the two are so <laughs> interlinked, like out of my control, my personal life and my painting life. So Sims nurtured that and, and she's she's brought me that stability that allows me to to paint and dream big and dream even bigger. Because I've always dreamed big, but there's there's only so much you can do on your own and it will take you twice as long to carve out where you want to get to and I'm the person I'm the kind of person like I'll always do that whether I have a gallery or not I'll always I'll be here painting but Simmer's provided me opportunity and she's like making my dreams come true and I think when when you find someone like that like you have to I don't know I'm so happy to to ride that with her and we dream very big together it's an amazing thing as a gallerist because I obviously that's what I do for the last kind of 10 12 years whatever it's been to be able to facilitate someone's ambitions Mm. so like you know you said that she's helping it all come true but in a sense you're making it come true and then the gallery helps to facilitate it and obviously I love that idea of like do it saying yes to things when it feels right for you obviously um but when you do say yes to things the other opportunities that you never would have expected that that arise out of that and that kind of fertility as well which is such a wonderful thing um I think people don't always understand that I think sometimes it is good to say yes if if you can yeah it's also some people aren't in a position to say no you know to to opportunities and I wasn't for a long time but the more you say yes to things I think especially when you're younger then you gain you you learn so much about what works for you as an artist what doesn't work and and you kind of gain this confidence or power to then be in a position to say no I think it, it, it takes yeah it takes a lot of time to get there my goal is like maybe when I'm 50 like I'll be in like complete power and I'll be able to say like no I'm having a year off or whatever you know uh but for now I'm like I I have such a hunger to to make work and 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 do things that it's such a privilege to be offered opportunities that but this is where sim comes in you know now we're in a position where we figure out the best opportunities together, you know, whereas when I was working on my own, I'd make a lot of the wrong decisions. And you have to do that as an artist. You have to figure that out on your own. But now I have the kind of backup, like Sim's got my back with this. And and also on another thing, like I saw 
going back to Tracy Emin, I saw she posted on her Instagram like the other week, like, oh my God, I, I love my galleries. I'm so thankful them for them. And you never hear artists saying that. And and that made me like so happy that I love my gallery as well. I think it's possible to find people that support you and don't take advantage of you um, and nurture your dreams. You know, there, there are gallery relationships out there that, that can provide that for you. It just takes time to, to carve that out and find it and for people to, the right people to come to you. And you're right as well. It takes time to sort of negotiate what it is that makes you feel comfortable as an artist. So by saying yes, it might not have actually been necessarily something you totally enjoyed. But out of that experience, you can then be like, actually, that doesn't work for me, but this did really work for me. And then you can channel it. I think we've even been doing that with talk art, like working out ways to streamline things so that you end up doing what is the most sort of uh, healthy and productive version of you or something, if you know what I mean. You reduce like, we, it to, we, the, think, to the best uh, the best of it. Yeah, and it's not about being lazy or something or things that come easy. I think it's more about creating a positive environment where you feel nurtured and then you yes. can express yourself much more freely, which is where the power is, really. Yes, exactly. Yeah, to to create that environment that you're in control of create creatively, that's only going to nurture your creativity and and good things come out of being nurtured and and having like the stable yes. framework such good things come out of that and yeah that's where freedom lies i think with the work being so honest and now you have collectors and the work's been acquired all over the place how is that for you letting these works go out in the world to live their own lives it's a dream come true I think of like, I don't know, 16-year-old me painting in my bedroom and not like having one path to walk to the bed because there's so much work in there. Like, I, I think of that person and I, I'm really happy and I'm, I've learned that it's really good to let things go. Um, so I've had to disconnect a bit mentally because it, it, it used to be quite a, a painful experience for me to let the work go. But I put a positive spin on it in the sense that if you sell something and you let it go, that's money to buy more materials and make something even better. So that's my mentality now. Like when things go, that's just carved out even more space for me to make better and bigger work. Um, but it used to feeding it, system, it seems. Like. Yeah. I used to be like such a nightmare for Sim though. Like I'd be like, okay, I have these paintings. <laughs> and then like the next week I'd be like, no, um, I need these paintings back. Like it's really emotional and blah, blah, blah. And she'd be like, oh, <laughs> I've, I've shown it to people. So through that, I learned like, it's actually not healthy to keep everything and and I come from like a hoarder background so it's even harder for me to let things go but I just know that's the the best thing I can do for myself with painting is free up space to make more work 
Can we talk about the star motif that appears a lot throughout? Yeah. A lot of the drawings have the star, but the star yeah. seems very important to you. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's like a, it's a human body, like reaching out and trying to touch everything. It, it's, a, it's a motive of dreaming big. And um, when I used to paint, like at my mum's house in the conservatory, that she'd like stapled this, um, this like fabric with stars printed over it. So it's it's a little, it's a nod back to that as well. Where like that's really where I started painting and I'd, I'd look up and I'd, I wouldn't see the sky. I'd see, I'd see this fabric with stars on. Um, so there's a bit of humor in it as well. And a nod back to dreaming big as a kid, like in this like rundown conservatory that was leaking with bugs, the windows smashed and everything. It, it's, it reminds me that I've always dreamed big and I've always looked up um, and beyond my means. And so now I like to use the star as something that's reaching out and trying to, and trying to touch everything and be connected with everything. Um, and it's something everyone can relate to, you know? The star, like you could, you can look up and you'll all, you'll all see the stars, and and that makes me feel connected to people as well. So it's a symbol of connection and hope. I think you're part of a really exciting generation right now, Daisy. I think I bumped into you the other day. And I, I said this to you, but we was actually in today's Ropec Gallery, and it was Rachel Jones, uh, who's a British ab- abstract artist, who it, the show was closing and. Also, that gallery represents Mandy El Sayeg, and we've got artists like Jade Fajadatimi. It feels like such an exciting time for British-based contemporary abstraction artists right now, and you're part of that generation, that conversation. Do you feel that vibration and kind of solidarity right now with your contemporary artists and, and the language that you're exploring? I think it's definitely like the year of painting or it's like painting's never been dead and punk's never been dead. They'll always, they'll (laughs) always come back, you know? Um, So I've, I've always had faith in painting and been surrounded by painters. Like, and I always will be no matter if it's popular or being shown at the time. Like when I was at Goldsmith, no one was painting. I was like the only painter and that was so hard to to believe in yourself and now I'm I'm like so pumped for all these painters I'm like because because we've always been here you know like and we we always will be like just quietly painting away and now painting is thriving so much it makes me so happy yeah I feel yeah I feel really excited it's good do you think about um your sort of like the the kind of lineage that the historical kind of lineage of of painters like I know you mentioned Rothko we obviously um mentioned Tracy but like if you think of other artists um because I I read that that review recently in Freeze um it's very recent um review I think linked to your show in London and they were talking about Hilmar F. Klimt and um 
a number of artists from that kind of generation. Do you feel like holding hands with the past? Yeah, I'm like, I'm a person who's so stuck in the past in terms of like my own nostalgia or experience or whatever. Um, so I think about it a lot, but I, I also think that I'm like from the same town as Billy Childish. So he was like a big, he was someone for me that has this major history that I can, that I could research and be inspired about inspired by but he was also he did things that showed me it was possible like he he was part of the past and the present and the future for me and I've been able to follow that journey so having someone like him there showed me what was possible but I've always been like like I'm obsessed with Francis Bacon and I'm constantly referring back to him and uh and like I'm so into Monet now and and all these people are coming back like from school that I I just you get you become so desensitized to them you know they're like mass produced mass printed and to be able to see like a Monet now with clear open eyes and connect with it I feel yeah, now I can understand the generosity of Monet, you know? Yeah. And I, it's taken, I don't know, 10 years or whatever to be able to see a Monet clearly. Um, but, but that comes with, like, I've gone back over and over and tried, you know? It, it's come at the time where I've needed it and it's spoken to me. Um, but I'm still learning a lot about, the history of painting I'm very I get such a tunnel vision sometimes I'm like right Francis Bacon Francis Bacon or like (laughs) my friends around me or whatever and 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 I do forget to research sometimes but yeah it's it's something I'm learning to do now as well but there's always there's always the key painters that I go back to and I think what they all have in common is like the soul or the human condition. Mm. So interesting. So you're from Chatham? Yeah, Rochester. Chatham. Yeah. Okay, because I, I work with Billy. I've worked with him for like a long time now. And um, the thing I think is really interesting about him, having watched him um, grow in the past kind of 10 years, is that like when the older you get, I think you start to reference your own history. Mm. Like, so instead of like... Mm looking to like he always used to look to Van Gogh or Edvard Munch um you know in different artists but I feel like even though he still sometimes does paint other people's paintings and things like that I love that idea that you can build up your own vocabulary and then that becomes something that you start to get obsessed about and like you get tunnel vision back into your own language or something yeah that's started happening with me sometimes I'm like I'm referring back to what I've written or painted previously and yeah even, you know, at the time, I don't think they're very successful paintings. Now now I see them in a new light and interesting things were happening. There was like a rawness or, uh, I don't know, just something unapologetic about it. So I have I have started looking back at, at my work, but I'm trying not to be like too self-indulgent, but sometimes 
you forget how to paint or what you're interested in and you lose yourself there's so much noise around that that it kind of seeps into the studio sometimes so so you have to look back at uh at, at your core interests and and yeah the the Kent art scene is always a point that I go back to when I'm a bit lost I go back and I reference and I I think about where I came from and the journey I've had in painting, you know. Totally. Well, the, I, I like the bacon, the, the psychologicalness of the bacons. I feel like there's that in you, this this constant searching or pushing aside to try and get to where we don't know. But there's something, there's, there's a longing and a searching that is that is embedded in those. Yeah. And I was at, after I bumped into you, I went to the... Francis Bacon at the RA and like I love his work so much like I go on pilgrimages to to see the shows or whatever and in in this one I'd, I'd never seen yeah I had it's so familiar to me that with this show I could actually start to be critical of it again which was new for me and and I love that relationship with his work you know I was looking at them like there's such strange paintings. Like there's one where he's like his color choice is wild. He's just painted like fuchsia pink with this with this weird blurry figure in like like the choices he makes are so bizarre sometimes, but they're rooted in the domestic and in the soul. So that's why I'm so intrigued by them all the time. And he does this thing where he like it's that it's that familiar room and like David Lynch does this as well in his films where he like lingers on a corner, you know? He like the anticipation of the corner or what's behind the door the door and he he captures that energy. It it just baffles me. I'm like so happy to now think of them critically and and not be blindsided by my love of them because I'll always love them but sometimes I'm so glazed over with like excitement that I forget to to actually study them and be critical of them and I think he was doing such interesting things with composition and I just I don't understand them but in a good way they they always the keep me guessing you share that as well, this the raw canvas and then the dragon of dry paint. Yeah. I'm interested that's... to see now you're introducing medium, but it's for him them elements where there is it is just like he's gone scratched it across yeah. the canvas. That's that's where I've got it from, the raw the raw canvas. And and like thinking about what does a, a white primed canvas mean? Like in my eyes, white isn't a neutral color and I think he shared that same thing you know that there's yeah there's a a neutralness to raw canvas and dry canvas and right yeah I, I definitely picked that up from him the dryness of paint and obviously that's been like come from painting in my bedroom and then an eco-friendly studio as well it's like minimal minimal terps or mediums or whatever but it it comes from my love of him 
and this aggression and friction of dragging that paint across the surface. You know, it's really interesting because um, somebody I know lives with one of the Francis Bacon paintings. Their family owns it. And it's the one that's um, called Water from a Running Tap from 1982. Wow. And it's this tap with a body kind of pouring out of the tap. And when I first saw your paintings, when Russell sent me them, that's what came into my head. And there's something about the body, but completely disintegrated. Like you, you don't actually really see the body in that painting. And yeah. some people see that painting and don't even realise it's a Francis Bacon at first. Maybe they do now because yeah. it's been seen more in museum shows and stuff. But when I first saw it, I didn't know who'd made it. Like I didn't, it didn't yeah. actually clock to me that that could be a, a Francis Bacon painting. And um, it's actually one of my favourites by him. I think it's such an extraordinary work, this idea of like, you know, turning the tap, the water coming out, and then actually there's a body sitting under that tap. Yeah. But are they coming out of the tap? It's so dark and so kind of about an essence of yeah. soul or something. My, but it really, really made me think of you. It's really bizarre. Well, it's not bizarre because obviously you, you love yeah, it. Yeah, um, but my favourite yeah. paintings of his are the ones where there are no figures. He's he, right. he did these strange landscape ones. There's like a seascape, but it's contained in this, in this structure. Um, but it's just overflowing with the soul like the soul's not there but but they're so rooted in the domestic and and in the agony of existence that yeah those the ones with the lack of figure like blow my mind I think they're so magical and there's not that many of them like I saw some in Paris at the Pompidou like a couple of years ago I went on a I I went on a pilgrimage to that show yeah 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 and that was really generous it was intense yeah that had a lot of unseen like work I'd never seen before and these landscape type things with softer palettes and and energies like you can only refer to them as an an energy I, I took it away from that show, you know, it was the orange. There was like a colour mm. orange, a kind of rusty orange, which in um, image uh, reproductions never quite translated. Yeah. And until you sit in front of it, it like it's such a weird colour. It's a, it's mid, like it's a, a resonating... mid-century orange, it makes me think of yeah. post-war and pre-70s sort of vibrant orange. It's like this murky, I know what you're mm. saying. That Yeah. It's... yeah. You're right, actually. It's weirdly a colour that um, the fashion designer uh, Margaret Howell uh, returns mm. to a lot there's a kind of it's it's like a rust or yeah. something and i think she's probably looking back to that yeah. era of painting even yeah. it's really interesting it's modern yeah. british also, it's a modern british palette totally, yeah 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 and also at the moment i feel like it's so interesting that so many artists are, are sort of openly talking about their love for him like uh we're friends with an artist in berlin called andrew moncrief and his whole new body of work is inspired by bacon and then there's that show in mayfair at the moment at marlborough which russell just went to and there's a young artist who lives in margate um who is in that Luke show Silver. as well. Luke Silver, oh, yeah. yeah. And it's called Love is the Devil, Studies mm-hmm. After Francis Bacon. But but I love the idea that like Louis Rettino and like uh, Lydia Blakely and, you know, that there's so many yeah. different artists there um, who are inspired by him as well. And Louise Giovanelli, a really good friend of Russell's. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's always going to be there for people. Yeah. There's, <laughs> yeah, there's he nothing, ain't going there's away. No, there's no <laughs> he ain't going anywhere. <laughs> there's no one like him. <laughs> you know what's really interesting as well though we were talking to jenna gribbin the other day about education and how when you're taught at school about artists like him for example um they reduce it into something and then you just don't really get it and then years later like a bit like we were saying about monet i love the idea that like actually those artists had lives that were really fascinating they had deep thoughts they were really interesting people but they get reduced to just these sort of 
cliche catchphrases. Essay questions. This is what this is. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's not actually anything to do really. Well, it is to do with it, but it's so surface. Mm. Yeah. I I love the fact that later in life, we're all able to rediscover these these art icons and realise why they are such icons. Yeah. It's interesting when you're fed, like when you're fed things that in a palatable way, you know, and then they're so complex beyond that. Like even, yeah, with Francis Bacon, I'm still... I'm still studying and I'm trying to understand understand that or 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 the Rothkos like when I was in New York looking at them it it only dawned on me then that he'd committed suicide and 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 all of these things they you learn about them later in life but at school they're fed to you as Oh, this person did something weird, or this person, this person did something like an aggressive painting, or this person did a minimalist painting, mm. and it's it's fine. Like those things are all important to learn about, but I think a lot more people would connect with art if if they taught you about the human behind the humanity it, humanity of it, yeah, 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 and the soul behind it. Do you like the work of Joe Mitchell? I do, yeah. This is another one that I've I never used to like her work, and now I'm like so obsessed with it. I can't stop looking at it, and I think mm. about it a lot. Guston, Guston Pinks. Oh, I love it! And all of these people, actually, I saw their work in New York for the first time two years ago on this trip. So I've. That trip taught me a lot, you know, about the history of painting and and seeing these paintings close up and piecing it all together. It all came together for me in that trip. I guess, do you see Pollock there and Lee Krasner? Yeah, they they just have everything. Yeah, yeah, it's like the history of painting, but done well. (laughs) Like, (laughs) like, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) <laughs> What's next for you, Daisy? What, what are you building towards now? Uh, so I'll be in a group show in New York in March. So I'm going to go to New York at the end of this month. And Has that been announced? Where, where are you showing? Yeah, I think that'll be announced soon. That'll be at Nike Dim Gallery, curated by Mosey Romney. Um, so I'm going to go to New York then and like have a little break and look at art and hopefully get refreshed but yeah do this thing of looking back to all my all my old favorites uh and then I'll be working towards a solo show in New York um later in the year with James Fuentes gallery brilliant great so that's like a big dream (laughs) as well (laughs) so yeah I I just I need to keep painting but I can slow down a little bit and maybe now I can have a little bit of time to fail in work or something or, um, and then, yeah, I'll pull it together and get the work done for these shows. Brilliant. So we ask every guest that comes on the same questions at the end of the interview. And the first question we will ask you right now, Daisy, is if you could do an art heist and you could have any work of art in the world for yourself to look at at home in your studio, wherever you want to put it, what would that be and why? And we can get anything you want. (laughs) 
with, with the help of you guys, mm. can you get me that 12 meter long Monet from the Momo in New York? Ooh, Is yeah. it a Lily's one? Yeah. I think like that or a Francis Bacon, because like you never get time alone with them anymore. I'd love to have just time alone with a Monet or a Francis Bacon um, or a Cheyenne Julian, which I know you like, Russell. Yeah, so if if it goes missing, then you know that I've taken it. <laughs> if it goes missing from your flat room. Yeah, wow. I'd love... Oh. I want one oh, so Daisy, bad. we should try and organize we should try and organize a like I think we know um uh, a few Royal Academicians who could probably get you um access to to like you know go out of hours because apparently really? Royal Academician you you can go in at like midnight or something. Oh my god. And you can go yeah and actually just walk around the Royal Academy on your own. And Whoa. then and then that way you don't you don't have any hassle of the visitors. That's a dream. I'm pretty sure I know a few people that could help with that, <laughs> Tracy probably. Don't, don't promise things. <laughs> I'm going to tell Tracy about you because um, that would be I a dream. She'll, she'll totally get where you're coming from. It's very cool. the The other question we ask every guest is, "What is your favourite colour?" Uh, as a kid, it was green, and I don't know why, but I remember like one in these like green fluorescent trainers for my birthday because I was obsessed with the colour green, but I don't even like it that much. It's okay, and I use it a lot, um, but I don't understand why, as a child, that was my colour. Uh, I love pink now, <laughs> which is funny, So <laughs> suddenly love pink. Um, so I'm going to go with pink. Pink appears a lot in your work. Yeah, it? I think it's amazing. I think it's... I love the word that says, sorry, sorry, sorry. sorry. <laughs> yeah. Like <laughs> I think it's like a really so complex colour. So I'm really into that at the minute. Is there a sense of humour in your work as well? Because I feel like there is. So, like the one that said, um, I saw a red. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I know that could be no, dark, no. but it's also kind of like quite that funny. Like, and, and even, even that colour choice with the sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry, sorry. I know it's deep, but there is something quite like an offering of like some That lightness. was my girlfriend. Like she told me she saw a rat and she thought of me, but not in a mean way. It's because I'm like, <laughs> I'm so <laughs> interested in rats and like the lifestyle of rats. And like, if I see a rat on the oh. street, I'm like... I don't know. I just hope they're okay. So she, <laughs> she texted. <she, laughs> yeah, they're okay. <laughs> <laughs> Even last night we were on the phone. We like, oh, it's cold. I hope the rats are warm. And like, she was like, they'll be okay. They're all like cozy together underground. <laughs> so stupid. Oh, I love that. That's, that's, that's what Russell's like. Yes, I I love a rat. Oh pigs. yeah, I love yeah, pigs. You taught me about pigs. I know. And how intelligent they are. Yeah, they're more intelligent, they really more intelligent than dogs, and they respond to touch, yeah. and they can recognise so you. Sweet and so. And they're sad. the worst treated animals on the planet. That that like you, the way you think about rats being yeah. cold, I think about poor we pigs and the way they're treated. Passion 
for these creatures. Yeah. Pigs and rats. <laughs> Compassion for pigs and rats. That's a banner. That's the new club. There we go. That's your next title. That's your next, your next, next show title. What is the, uh, <laughs> what's the best advice you've ever received thus far when it comes to your um, art? I don't know if this was directly told to me in relation to art, but it, it translates like, don't put off till tomorrow what you can do today. So I've been carrying that with me a long time. Um, and that I think that's where my work ethic comes from, like don't put things off. And then also another good piece of advice from my painter friend David Sermon is that every painting doesn't have to do everything. So I, at the time, I was, like, putting everything, like, my brushstrokes, my text, whatever, every motif of mine that you might recognise going in one piece. And, and I wasn't thinking about work in series. And, and since he told me that, I've, like, calmed down a bit and I've started thinking about work in series. And there can be quieter pieces, heavier pieces. Like, it's all you. It's all the same language. But they don't have to do everything that they can they can exist in series and communicate with each other so that's been really important for me yeah and actually the um the many parts become the greater whole don't they brilliant exactly and and they all make sense in relation yeah. to each other like retrospectively you need to think like in 50 years they all make sense they're all you yeah oh my god this has been so magic like what a wonderful way to start my day on a Sunday. Can I just finish off with a quote from your show? You said in, in your current show, in this show, I'm exploring my greatest fears and anxieties, but there is also a lightness to it as I flow in and out of agony and hope. I am interested in these extremes. And that's some, I think that gives us the Daisy Paris uh, experience. <laughs> yeah. That's going to be your, your, rock <laughs> tour, your punk tour. <laughs> the Daisy Paris <laughs> yeah. experience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but thank thank you so much yeah it's been brilliant daisy such an absolute pleasure amazing. speaking to you it. you've got thank you and you've got a brilliant thank mind you. thank yeah. you <laughs> so for everyone listening we'll be posting images to our instagram at talk art and daisy is also on instagram and you can follow her uh, sorry follow them there um what is your instagram daisy at daisy paris amazing and we will be tagging you uh, so that everyone can see what you're up to. And I'm um, really looking forward to James's show with you in New York. That's really exciting. He's been great um, yeah. to support so many new new artists. I love love James's um, consistency and passion. He's great. Thank you, Daisy. Thank you, Daisy. Thanks, Thank everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamond and Russell Toby. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode, with music by Jack Northover. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. 
From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com